Pastor Xavier Reese offers this evidence of the one true Savior. No one was found worthy to open it, to read the scroll or look into it to establish the kingdom. The scroll has seven seals, which would be opened by the rightful heir. And all of a sudden, one stood as a lamb that had been slain. He's the one. The same word is used for Jesus for standing at the door and knocking. He's dead. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What do Buddha, Muhammad, and Krishna have in common? Well, they are the focus of some false religion among many that leads to death and destruction. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Revelation to put our focus on the only one who can lead us to eternal life. We join him now in Revelation chapter 5 for a study titled, Worship Jesus. You know, there have been numerous prophets who have had the privilege of seeing the heavenly glory of God, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and others, not to mention Paul who was caught up to the third heaven. But John the Beloved here had a vision of heaven as he was in the island of Patmos, as you know, for the word of God and the testimony of his name. And this first number of visions that he has in the third division that begins in chapter 4. There are many. They run all the way to the end of chapter 22 of Revelation. This first group of vision runs from chapter 4 here all the way to chapter 8, verse 1. If you've read it, you can see the clear division. And these visions are prefaced by the phrase, these things which will take place after these the things of the church. And this is stated in chapter 1, verse 19, and chapter 4, verse 1. So he's finished speaking to the churches and the messages in chapter 2 and 3. Now comes this third division, after these things. What things? After the things of the church age. Chapter 4 and 5 comprise the first part of the vision, and it's in two parts. Chapter 4, John sees the awesomeness of God's throne, and the Father worshiped his creator. That's the focus. In chapter 5, John sees the awesomeness of God's Son, who is worshiped as Redeemer. Now, what we want to do for our study is we want to focus on chapter 5, in which all the activity is directed to the Lamb in view of what he has done and accomplished to redeem the race of fallen Adam. Let me read here. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with the seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll and to look upon it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then I... 
he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having hearts and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth." Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard, saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. The picture we get here in chapter 5 of the scroll and the Redeemer falls into three movements. We have the vision of the scroll and God in verse 1 through 4. Then we have the vision of the scroll and the lamb in verse 5 through 7. And then we have the vision of the scroll and the worship of the lamb in verse 8 through 14. The vision of the scroll and God. Notice in verse 1, the apostle John saw God on his throne. He saw God sitting on his throne. Sitting on his throne presents the position of power and authority. He is the one that's ruling and reigning. The majestic glory of his throne is magnified by the angelic presence. Notice that in the 24 elders that has already been seen in chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Except the father is the focus in chapter 4. The son is the focus in chapter 5. The worship of God by the four living creatures declaring his holiness and the 24 elders casting their crowns before his feet because he's worthy of being the creator in chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Now he who sat on, on the throne there is God the Father. Notice the word is not stated by virtue of being distinct from the Lamb, which we will see in verse 5 and 6. The Father has been clearly pointed out in chapter 4. The distinction will be made very clear in verse 5 and 6. Now this is the identity of the ancient of days of Daniel that is given to us in Daniel 7, 9 through 10. Listen to it. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands of thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Great parallel. Notice that John saw the scroll in the right hand of the Father. This again marks the place of privilege, majesty, power to rule, and the place from which delegated authority goes forth. In fact, we're told in Revelation 1.16, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. The right hand plays a power. 
authority. Notice the scroll had written inside and in the back, the front and the back, both sides. Now the background to this, if you've ever read Ezekiel, uh, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Now, when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of book was in it. Then he spread it out before me, and there was written on the inside and the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mournings and woes. And you know the whole background behind Ezekiel. He's called to proclaim judgment to the children of Israel there in Babylon. Now, the scroll has seven seals which would be opened by the rightful heir who could meet those conditions of all the particulars revealed in the seven seals. A Roman will required seven seals and seven witnesses. The number seven, as you know, is key to the book of Revelation, as we have seen already, symbolizing completeness. There are seven spirits of God, seven churches, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven angels, seven bowls, seven thunders, Seven heads, seven diadems, the crowns, seven plagues, seven mountains, seven kings, and on and on and on. This is complete authority, complete wrath to finalize the complete plan of God. Notice John does not tell us what the scroll is, nor do we have any other passages that would indicate the meaning or content, really, outside of the book of Revelation. There are many interpretations. Let me give you some of the most common that have a possibility. There are those who believe that the scroll contains the very judgments poured out from chapter 6 to the end. There are those who believe that it is the book of life that is mentioned throughout the book of Revelation. There are those who believe that the scroll is the title deed to the earth. And it usually is tied in with the redemption of Boaz and Ruth. And it fits real good. In fact, I've often taught this in years past. And it does make a good illustration and the application is okay. But I'm not sure it's sufficient to really believe that this is the title deed to the earth. Because it doesn't say that. We're making it by assumption between a deed was made between Boaz and Ruth under the Jewish covenant. And that is a title deed to the property. But nowhere are we told here that this, in fact, is a title deed to the earth. So it's a good association, but I don't find it within the context. But I do find in the book of Revelation... That Jesus, I think, gives us the interpretation of the content of the book. He was going to show John the things that must occur after these things in chapter 1, verse 19, and chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I believe it's the complete and final judgments of the day of the Lord. The establishment of the kingdom by the rightful heir to the throne, Jesus the Messiah all the way to the eternal state, chapter 6 to chapter 22. Because as John begins to open the seals, the judgments come. The trumpets are sounded, judgment come. The bulls are poured out, judgment come. Therefore, what's in the book is God's plan of judgments to the eternal state. I find that a more biblical definition of 
what the book is than the title deed. Though I may be, I could be wrong. I won't get booted out of heaven when I get there, but I'm trying to stick as close to the scriptures as I can. Now, notice in verse 2 through 4, the apostle John heard the inquiry of one to open the scroll. The one he saw is described as a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Now, we are not told who this angel is. Some guess it's Gabriel because he stands before God in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, remember. The proclamation is in the form of a question. Notice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals? The word worthy has the idea of proper weight corresponding to the book. It's stated in verse 2, 4, 9, and 12. Worthy is key to this chapter. Who is worthy? Now, the Old Testament word for glory has the same idea of weight in contrast to the shallowness of the idols and the vanity. So when you're talking about worthy and God's glory, you're talking about what is in proportion to what is worth. It has to have weight behind it. Who's the heavyweight that can take this book and fulfill it? <laughs> Who's the one with sufficient authority and power? The answer is only he who can meet all the requirements, can loosen or unfasten the seals one by one. Now, you know the law of redemption in the Old Testament gave the right to the goel, the kinsman redeemer, to redeem a family member out of servitude, redeem property, as I mentioned with Ruth and Boaz, Jeremiah with his cousin Hamamel in chapter 32, verse 6 to 15. We have many examples of that. Now, if we go along with the scroll being the title deed to the earth, it is easy to see that God gave Adam complete dominion on the earth, and that's the way it's usually presented. But he forfeited that deed at the fall, and supposedly Jesus Christ came to redeem it. Now, Jesus Christ came to redeem us, but the tie of the scroll and everything is put that way. Now, Satan said to Jesus, in the temptation that if he would bow down and worship him, he would give him all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't say they're not yours. He didn't refute it, as it's been observed often. But the payment of redemption was not paid to Satan. The payment of redemption was paid to the Father. The Father is the one who holds the title deed, if anything. <laughs> He's the one that's made the plan. And it must be satisfied with righteous fulfillment. It cannot be shortcutted. So Jesus is the only one who is worthy to loosen the seals on the scroll. Now notice in verse 3 and 4, the apostle John saw the horrible dilemma of no one found worthy to open to read or to look in the scroll at this time. No one was found within the complete scope of all in existence. In heaven, no angel in whatever rank and file they belong to. On earth, no living person. Under the earth, no fallen angel or demon in hell. The response of John is interesting in verse 4. He wept convulsively seeing the hopelessness 
of the situation. No one was found worthy to open it, to read the scroll or look into it to establish the kingdom. The picture is of utter hopelessness of anyone, anywhere. John knew fallen humanity. And for him to see that it would go on was more than he could take. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims, each having six wings, and two covered their feet, two they covered their face, and two they flew. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door was, were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Chapter 6. The immediate response of seeing God was seeing his own unworthiness, his own sinfulness. This is what takes place. This is what should take place every time you and I open the Bible, every time you and I come to church, you and I are in a Bible study, you and I pray to see our own unworthiness, our own sinfulness. If we're truly seeing the God that the Bible describes, if we're seeing the God that we have made, then it's a whole different matter. Then most of the time I'm probably okay, and most of the time I kind of think I'm unequal almost. Hmm. God in the beginning of creation created Adam and Eve with the capacity to be sinless and to dwell in the presence of God's glory forever in Genesis 2. As you know, they were creating the image and the likeness of God. Uh, that means that they had the capacity for choice. Uh, being moral beings, they could please God and worship him perfectly. God had the best in mind for both of them. He gave them everything, dominion over everything he created, except for one exception, the tree of good and evil. The serpent, being more crafty than the other animals, became the instrument of Satan to tempt Eve to eat of the tree in Genesis 3. Eve ate and then gave to her husband, as you know. And then both of their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked, covering themselves with fig leaves. God sought Adam and Eve out in the garden there in chapter 3. Where art thou, Adam? I don't think God was looking for the location as much as he was trying to get Adam to perceive the fallenness of his position now in relationship to God. He was now in a sinful state. He was no longer in that ideal relationship to worship God perfectly and to obey him perfectly. Now he had forfeited that. Prior to the fall, Adam had the capacity to not sin. After the fall, Adam had no capacity to stop sinning. The history of man tells the rest of the story. Violence, murder, selfishness, and wars followed Adam and the sons of Adam and his daughters, Genesis 4 to 6, and that's why God destroyed the world. Paul the Apostle describes the condition of man after the fall perfectly. Listen, it's one of the most tragic descriptions of man. Ephesians 2, 11 through 12. 
Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called on circumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the covenant of Israel, commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Having no hope without God in the world. Horrible, horrible description of man. This was a vision of the scroll in God. No hope apart from him. No hope. Notice the vision of the scroll and the lamb follow. Verse 5 through 8. The apostle John was told in verse 5 that there was a solution to the hopeless dilemma. The elder is a contrasting hope from John's hopelessness by the word but. The elder comforts John by saying, do not weep. The verb being placed first makes it emphatic, as if to say, stop your convulsive weeping. Because he knows something John doesn't. <laughs> Notice the elder proclaims the identity of the one who is worthy there in verse 5. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the one who all the prophets have spoken about, Genesis 49, 8 through 10. The lion represents his divine kingship as the Messiah. The root of David, the court is from Isaiah eleven ten. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The line of David represents his humanity. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. Now notice the elder proclaims, he has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 prophesied, a child is born, a son is given unto us, and about the government being upon his shoulders. His kingdom would have no end. The word prevail, nikao, is in the arrow as the historic past fact. He did conquer as the God-man. The prophecy given in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Isaiah 7.14, behold, a woman shall bear a child. You should call his name Emmanuel. A virgin is the text. Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the son made of a woman under the law. The God-man. The same word is used for overcomer, by the way, here. Eight times in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It's the same word. Nike shoes come from that word. Speaks about overcomer, victor. <laughs> same root. His prevailing represents the requirements needed to open the scroll. Now notice in verse 6, the apostle John saw the solution of hope for the dilemma himself. John saw the one sacrifice for the sins of man. John looked, and in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders that both had prostrated themselves before the throne of God, and all of them being sitting probably, all of a sudden one stood. He's looking. Everybody's about the same. And all of a sudden one stood. He stood out. As a lamb that had been slain. This is the one. No other one. The same word is used for Jesus 
for standing at the door and knocking in Revelation 3.20, the church of Laodicea. Same word, he's done. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us who is and always was the one and true Lamb of God. Now you can request a copy of today's important study from the book of Revelation called Worship Jesus. It's available for just $4 on CD. And when you're through, be sure and pass this message along to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You can contact us by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Scripture is clear that the penalty for sin is death. The good news is that the price for our salvation has already been paid. Find out how and why that ultimate sacrifice was made on your behalf when you join Pastor Xavier Reese right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com